please don't burn our shit ass down. Times are fucking hard. Bruh. So please don't burn our shit ass down. We'll have to shit in the yard. Oh. What was the song about? I can't work it out, mate. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard. leopard, leopard. Welcome to Beware of the Leopard, your A to Z of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm Mark Steadman, and have I built up any coherent picture of things yet? No. I'm John Hickman, and whenever I go click, all I get is hum. I'm John Bounds, and whatever your tastes, I can cater for you. I'm not proud. <laughs> We're on the final straight of the G section, so let's begin with some lost souls. The Grebulons were awoken from hyperspace sleep with no memories after a meteorite struck their ship. They are thin and, under domestic lighting conditions, a sort of dim purplish green. They settled on a moon orbiting Pluto and monitored Earth, believing astrology to be an exact science. John B., what's the first thing you say when encountering or encountering a Grebulon? Well, what you don't say is, hi, what's your name? Because it's guaranteed to offend uh, <laughs> an entire race of, with, uh, of amnesiacs. It's, um, I love the Grebulons. I think they're one of the um, best uh, creations. And I, I will always stick up for uh, Mostly Harmless. I, it's probably my favourite uh, book. And one of the reasons is how beautifully stage-managed the whole Grebulon thing is, mm. how perfectly their the holes in their Swiss cheese memories um really 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 work it's perfect so um how so how if you haven't read the read the book how they how it comes to be is a meteorite hits the ship takes out the um exact bit of the memory banks creates a hole which is an exact place for the backup memory banks to fall out of when they're being maneuvered into position it takes out the exact bits out of their sort of five-year mission while they're all in hyperspace. It takes out everything of their own memories, which are stored on the memory banks. But it's, yeah, it's fascinating. And it's brilliantly done for the plot. And it's also, Mm. for my mind, a fantastic parody of how memory loss is always treated in popular culture. Mm. Isn't it amazing that people always lose the bits that make the plot go forward. Um, <laughs> you never see, um, I don't know, uh, Bugs Bunny or, I don't know, Charlie Chaplin or Stan Laurel get a whack on the head that makes them remember who they are, but not that you have to shit in a toilet and not in a sink. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you've got complete memory loss, there's going to be a bit of a mess, right? It's um, mm-hmm. you've, you've, you've lost all the so they remember all their social conditionings by and large, unless that's a plot point. Um, they remember language. Remember, yes, they remember language, and that's they remember to buy sophisticated consumer durables by mail order. <laughs> well, that's that, yeah, and they were wonderful satire, aren't they? The Gribbles of of um, if you made people completely blank and threw mm. culture at them, that would be. I think, according to Douglas, at least that would be what they were, what they were like. Mm. So those are the bits that the bits that are stuck are, are the sort of fundamental bits. Yeah, and the um, and their sort of gullibility of everything they hear. So their their gullibility for astrology, their gullibility mm. for um, wanting. So they they can't, they can't be asked to they can't be asked to uh, cook. It's easier to send a spaceship to go and get a takeaway. 
than it is for them to... They could watch a cooking show on the television, learn how to cook if they wanted to, but they've chosen not to. But instead to. they're ordering from Blue Apron. Yeah, completely. Actually, they're not even ordering from Blue Apron because Blue Apron involves cooking. No, they're getting a space delivery. Yeah, that's exactly what they are. Yes. That's, uh, yeah, I think yeah, I think I think they're wonderful. I would like I would like to I'd love to go and meet them on uh, the planet Rupert's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love the um, I love the the the, the wake up sequence for mm-hmm. for the for the, the Grebulons. It's it's a, a really well established sci fi trope of the uh, of of the ship that wakes up, um, and and you see like you know the lights come on, systems come to life, and computers start to click when they should hum and uh, the um, I have to speak for, for Danny on this one because as our bureaucracy correspondent he's not here but there's a lovely description of the series of exchanges that take place between the various computer programs on board the ship um, who don't know why things are wrong or don't know they've got no frame of reference for what is wrong because the bit of the computer that tells them what's wrong got taken out with the asteroid as well that is one of my favourite things and it's something as a um as part of my day job often involves writing software, uh, because weirdly this isn't my day job, it is something that I really appreciate in that opening sequence is the bit that the sensor that senses when something is wrong has something wrong with it. And I love that because that is so prevalent in computing. Mm -hmm. When you get error messages that appear because the and, and the error message knows it should appear, but it doesn't know why, and it doesn't know. And and so, if you're Windows, you blame the user, and you say uh, you did something wrong, you caused an illegal operation, uh, you should stop that, stop that at once. Whereas a Mac, you know, a, a, a Mac might go, "Hey, something something wrong happened," or a modern Mac might go, "Error minus two thousand three hundred and thirty-seven. We don't know why this happened, but it did." Guru's meditation. Have you heard? the um, wonderful story of the sort of first user testing of the first um, uh, Apple computers to have the, the sort of graphical user interface, I suppose, the Apple II. Um, they're, uh, so they were trying to be very friendly and very Californian, and their, um, yeah. their dialogue boxes had a thing, and they would say, um, you know, we have yes and cancel. And instead of yes, they originally had do it, you know, come on, do it, boys. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, they noticed in um, some user testing that people were getting quite confused. And eventually they discovered that because, the you know, the screens were quite small, they thought, why is the computer calling me adult? <laughs> I didn't get it, sorry. <laughs> That's why I was quiet. <laughs> That's all right. With if, if, D-O-I-T, if, oh, if okay, the yeah, computer's yeah. small mm. and the resolution's not good enough. Yeah, okay. Yep. Change. Good. Cool. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, I'm sorry. I'll go back to uh, and uh, go back in time to uh, visit uh, Jobs and uh, Wozniak and their compadres in uh, California and, uh, and make the punchline slightly better. I'm sorry. That's just a thing that actually happened. It wasn't written down. It's, uh... No, sorry. I'm sorry, John. I, know, I was just trying to work it all out, and then I realised everyone had laughed and, and I'd been quiet for a while, so I thought I'd better explain myself. Oh God, that's right. That's okay. It's Put okay. this laugh in later, Mark. <laughs> yeah. yeah no. <laughs> There's John's natural laugh. <laughs> There's John's natural laugh. Uh, oh, now, uh, if last week's poetry discussions weren't enough, here's some more. Granthos the Flatulent is a Korean poet, the second worst in the universe. John H., what are some of your favourite bath time gurgles? My favourite bath time gurgles? I, I, I assume um, in my headcanon this is something to do with the fact that he's flatulent. 
Well, yes, but it's also the title of of um, one of his epic. Oh yeah, tomes. No, no, I know it's the title of the, the title of his book, but I I I, I assume that he's uh, he's he's well enough known that um, uh, that he would be flatulent. Yes, and and well, his his name is flatulent. So <laughs> yeah, the. Um, a, a bit like Leonard Nimoy calling his uh, autobiography, I, I am not Spock <laughs> and I am Spock. It's kind of like a signature move. So um, they've named it for that, which is a rather unique um, way of doing things. And he, he must be a bad poet if you can make a sales point of his flatulence. <laughs> um, if that's the thing that people will, will, will want to will want to buy buy into. Um, so I'm fascinated by the um, the very very empirical ranting uh, rating of uh, poets um a little bit <laughs> because um i don't know so who what poor bugger has had to read all this stuff uh to work out is he only uh a rating like um you know the bottom films on rotten tomatoes there are loads worse films than that mate they simply haven't been released <laughs> so anybody could review them you know what i mean <laughs> yes so this is this is interesting then because mark made the point last last week that um that, that poetry must be universal, that all souls have got poetry in them. So maybe it is a universal enough art form that there is a universal ranking of um, of poetry. And I use the word universal a lot just now. <laughs> but you might, maybe you wouldn't have a universal pop music chart, but because every species has some poetry within them, the, uh, the chart organisation, you know, they've got uh, Dr. Fox there on a Sunday, um, doing a countdown of all, all your all your big poem hits. And at number nine, it's uh, Ode to a Piece of Fluff I Found in My Belly Button One Sunday Afternoon. That's the wrong title, but you get the idea. Well, that, okay, that's yeah, that's entirely possible. But I think whatever the, um, you know, obviously you throw Rotten Tomatoes at uh, films that aren't very good. What do you throw at Bad Poets? What's the name of the website where we can come to uh, see all these sort of aggregated ratings? And the, the industry, because... The, um, as far as I'm aware, there's probably only one poetry column per national newspaper and not the tabloids squirreled away at the back of the Saturday or Sunday review section. Um, and you'll probably go, oh, there's a lovely new anthology from uh, Kate Tempest. And then, um, I'm sorry, or we spend most of its time talking about a, a reissued Auden uh, pamphlet with extra commentary by... Um, <laughs> Ulan Kalufid. Well, I was going to say uh, uh, Bradley Walsh, but um, the uh, <laughs> but I said, what I'm, I'm saying is that if this is true, the rest of the universe must have so much more time for poetry uh, than we do. So, uh, which is probably due to the uh, lack of uh, sex and anything else to keep the non-existent um, occupants of the universe in, uh, interested. Right, um, bath time gurgles. Right, so. I don't think they're poetic, uh, particularly, but um, I was thinking about some of the noises you hear um, from plumbing, and you've got the sort of um, radiator uh, clunk sort of thing uh, when there's air in the pipes. But have you? I don't have either of you experienced the noise that comes from a sink when there's a blockage somewhere further down the drain. So it's sort of a glug 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 glug. And it can go and it can come on unexpectedly. You've maybe poured uh, a, a pan of uh, water you've been using to pour some pasta down the sink and 20 minutes later you've had your pasta, you're going into the <laughs> kitchen for a little drink and something goes... <laughs> and you think, oh God, that means I've got to stick my hand down the drain, haven't I? We've got um, we've got, we've got got knocking pipes, you know, in our oh, house. Oh God. Um, 
so we if you turn on the um turn on the hot tap and then suddenly there's this banging that goes all through the house and then you have to you have to run the cold tap harder and longer before it'll all before it'll all clear and go away. So my bath time gurgles are quite violent, um, qu- quite quite violent, quite the event. <laughs> so I need to I need to work I need to work on that really. I need to get that fixed. So on the subject of bath time gurgles, would you like to hear a joke, which I fear you might both laugh at? Uh, okay, but it's fascinating to me because of the fact that you were still laughing at it for no particularly good reason. So you know that you probably heard, you might have heard it before. Bill and Ben are in the bath. Right. And Ben says, blub, 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 blub. And the other one, whether it's Bill or Ben, says, you dirty bastard. <laughs> That's strictly for our UK only listeners. Who are over the age of 50. Yes. <laughs> so, um. Where's the soap, doesn't um, it? Bath time, bath time gurgle wise. Um, my, my dad had a had a strange thing for singing Bernard Cribbin songs to me when uh, when I was having my bath as a as, as a lad. So that was my main kind of bath time uh, bath time gurgle. But the, <laughs> the modern dads that they have now, um, they do they do things slightly different. So there's a, a, fr- a friend of the show um, who's got a tumbler where when his son was very very small, he used to write rude messages in foam letters. And uh, put them on the bath, and then take photos of his kid looking really cute in front of like really really bad swears. Um, I think I think the website is called something like um, mysonwithswears.tumblr.com. Something mm. like that. Uh, we'll try and find it for mm-hmm. the show notes, though. Another thing I was thinking about, sort of bath time noises or uh, bathroom noises. Once my dad must have been on a holiday somewhere. And you know those sort of souvenir shops they put very near coach stations and seaside uh, places. <laughs> Um, we've got we've got ten minutes before the coach. Well, we'll go and have a move through. And he must have bought this sort of, I don't know, independently published pamphlet or book, which was called "Farting as an Art: The Revolting Man's Guide." <laughs> and uh, I don't remember much about it. It had a yellow paper cover and sort of like photocopied or sort of gestetnered kind of a uh, insert. I suppose it was a fanzine, been typewritten, and uh, it, um, there was there was lots of it and badly, badly drawn, badly edited. But uh, it contained the uh, wonderful sort of um, in the, back in the olden days, you'd buy sheet music or just the words, new words for a popular tune. Um, apparently, this was popular uh, in the sort of sixteen hundreds. That uh, the, the district when printing was just getting they distribute this. But it was the song was called "Please Don't Burn Our Shit House Down." <laughs> <laughs> and the um, I, I it, it stuck. Bits of it have completely stuck in my memory to this day, like sort of you know, twenty-five years ago. Um, please don't burn our shit ass down. Uh, father is trying to pay. Brother dear has gonorrhea, and times are fucking hard. So please don't burn our shit ass down. We'll have to shit in the yard. And I can't, yeah, I've got no idea. Is it got? Was that gonorrhea? Yeah. Or he's gone he's, into no, arrears. It was gonorrhea. And but this so okay so this was like I don't know what is the weird song about I can't it was, work it, it was, out it mate. Was basically, as far as I can work out it was basically some family had an outside toilet right. and in some way they defaulted on some sort of payment scheme which would result in the the people they owed the money to removing or burning down the outside the, the, the loo sh- so we are I think this this is this ties in 
to the, the Bill and Ben thing. So you two both laughed. <laughs> you two both laughed at the Bill and Ben joke, even though Bill and Ben has never been on television in either of your lifetimes. Mm-hmm. No. Bill and Ben have stayed in the cultural thing. It'll have to be a joke, and you can still do a Bill and Ben joke on Radio Four. Radio Four, yes, <laughs> or on Twitter. You could still do it. It's still enough cultural currency. So the idea of an outside toilet uh, that someone could take away from you. Uh, was still current in the mid-80s in people's <laughs> cultural consciousness, enough that a song about the removal of the outside plumbing facilities uh, would, would still work. I, um, I, I, I can't let go of this line about the gonorrhea. I think this is a misheard lyric. I, I think this is like um, somebody's been at the, at, at the at the concert where this whoever this great bard is was performing, and a bit like in Shakespeare's time, people in the crowd just writing the words down from the play. Someone's copied this down. Bootleggers. Yeah, this is the brothers gone into arrears. That's what's happened. It doesn't make sense that. <laughs> that you've that you've lost some money. Someone's coming to take your toilet. Oh, and by the way, my brother's got gonorrhea. Unless you're an absolute shit magnet of a person. <laughs> well, I don't think this family were in a um, a good state. I mean, social services in this day and age would probably be round. According according to the lyrics, uh, it's uh, please don't burn our shit house down. Mother is willing to pay. Father's been run out of town, and Nell's in the family way. My brother's dear. Uh, my brother dear has gonorrhea. Don't make us shit in the rain. Little Bill has diarrhoea and he wants to go there again. Please don't burn our shit ass down, <laughs> for times is fucking hard. And if you burn the damn thing down, we'll have to shit in the yard. I assume a shit ass would go up quite well yep. um, with all the, the, the gases. Methane. And- Was that the work of Grunfoss the Flatulent? <laughs> because um, <laughs> it could completely be that. Falling through a wormhole. It sounds more like a Paul and Nancy Millstone Jennings to me. It's, um, at, I think it's, uh, it's an old... It was probably one from Max Miller's Blue Book. My granddad used to have a rhyme about farting as well. Now you've you've reminded me. Uh, He always used to say, I don't know where this one came from, um, wherever you may be, always let your wind go free. Have you heard that one? No, but it sounds lovely. It's, it's, No, I'm... Whether you're in church or in chapel, always let your old wind rattle. (laughs) That's nice. Yeah. That is now my new top number one favourite bath time gurgle. Straight in at <laughs> Where'er thou be, let thy wind blow free. In church or chapel, let it rattle. There you Have go. You got some sort of anthology there. Wow. Man. Just Google. <laughs> it's a toilet book, isn't it? <laughs> and now this is basically the reason we're all here. The guide is a sort of electronic book that has several million entries in an index you fast wind through. Each item has a code which you type in on a small pad. This scrolls the screen to the selected item. The guide has been played in what we might consider canon by Peter Jones, William Franklin, Rulenska and Stephen Fry. Team, who's our favourite? I don't know, you can't go past Jones, can you? Is anybody seriously going to make a play for anything other than that? No, I, I think I think you're absolutely right. Um, I, I, I did enjoy Fry. I think Fry's a very, very good choice, but you can't. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. He was he was wonderful, uh, except for the fact that he um, couldn't say the word encyclopedia. Uh, and some t- I think we've discussed this before that uh, they sometimes had to stitch the beginning of one iteration of the word with the end of another one because he just he fouled it up so many times. He had real trouble with the word encyclopedia. Um, and he has the strangest pronunciation of the word executive I've ever heard. That aside. 
He was very, very good. How does that go? Executive. All right. Okay. Well, it's because he hasn't he hasn't got enough, the the proper executive hasn't got time to say the word executive. That's it. Exactly. Got to get through it a lot quicker. Executive. <laughs> executive. executive. Uh, yeah. So uh, we've talked a lot about the guiding um, uh, in previous casts, and we, uh, a lot about the particular form of the guiding, the sort of mm. Christmas special thing we did. Yeah. But here's a, a thing that I don't think we've considered before, and it's been playing on my mind mm. somewhat. Um, the sheer amount of sub editing. Uh, that must have been going on. All hail the subs uh, of the guide because um, we know the guide is that has finite space uh, because the, the forward entry for Earth is cut down to one and then two mm. two words. We know the guide has um, copious reporters uh, out there. We know it attempts to be encyclopedic. Um, to compete with the Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Galactica, Galactica. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but it's, um, yeah, but it absolutely, uh, yeah, it fascinates me, the the, the editorial um, process, um, because there's, there's, I think it actually, is it mentioned in um, Mostly Harmless that there was a, uh, there were two towers of the Hitchhiker's building yeah. and one side was editorial and the other side was finance. Um, the, and the, the the twin towns, but so yeah, so there's there's this army of subs, and you know how we've talked about the fact that Wikipedia is sort of the guide in a in a similar way. Mm. Um, but it's but this is one of the interesting. So in this, rather than all these, um, I don't, essentially uh, this army of volunteers that supposedly edits Wikipedia. Hmm. Um, in the guide universe, there is a pre-social uh, capital, pre-gig economy tower of paid sub-editors. The overheads must have been fantastic. And there must be. You'd imagine that, that there's a lot of uh, animosity between the editors and the writers, because as we we see Ford's reaction to being very, very, um, very heavily edited. But uh, imagine being stuck in that tower and knowing that someone like Ford Prefect is out and about um, putting stuff on the company credit card and having lunch. And you're just there, just chipping away at words. Yeah, oh, he's got to get this. Oh, God, he submitted um, 30,000 words on that obscure planet. Um, yeah. I, I'm gonna have to, I'm, am I going to have to edit this down? And I, th- I think... Um, as someone who's done a bit of editing in the past, there comes a point where you simply throw it away and rewrite it. <laughs> um, because you just, oh, just sod it. And you don't, probably, you know nothing about the subject. Mm. This is how subbing mistakes get into newspapers and stuff. You, because the the writing was too long or too rubbish or too tangential or, or whatever from the person who actually experienced the thing they're writing about. You know, I can't just... I, I can't be asked to wade through this. Um, what? Oh, quickly! What's on Wikipedia? What can I find in a, a in a you know quick Google? Um, let's mm. let's retell the old myth because I can't think of um, anything. And it's just um, yeah. But the whole the whole process is um, fascinating to me. You know, when they started Wikipedia, they had uh, from they never didn't really start it from scratch. They used an out of copyright nineteenth century encyclopedia. Oh, well, that makes sense. To pre-populate lots of the, the entries. 
And also that makes sense. And also that's 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 very clever. Yeah. And also they had a paid team uh, mm. of academics to write lots of the entries to start with. Mm. And I just and that obviously didn't um, didn't fly in the end. I mean, we we know that the company had form for hastily copying things from the Encyclopedia Galactica uh, because they did that for facts about the universe and then went mm. back in time and sued the uh, oh no they they sorry no they didn't they copied it from a packet of breakfast cereal uh, and then went back in time <laughs> and sued the breakfast cereal company there wasn't there wasn't a big bang there was a big snap crackle and a pop indeed um so obviously they've got a form for doing that so maybe yeah i mean uh, galactic copyright laws are torturous so with time travel being what it is Maybe they they just grabbed a load of it from a, a pre-existing uh, document, a pre-existing tome, uh, and and just you know changed up the writing a little to make it feel more guidey and less actually useful. John, would you have got through turn it in? Would have got through. Turn- <laughs> oh yeah, twenty percent original. Gosh, no, I don't. I don't think it. I don't think it would. Um, turn it in is a plagiarism software, uh, so you do uh, an originality comparison. Uh, between the piece of work that you offer up and uh, a, a large corpus of data, and it, it it can catch quite a lot of plagiarism. Do you remember, John, when we tried to, you know, uh, when, if you run any sort of website or blog, you get numerous offers for uh, tailored content for your audience. You do. And uh, do you remember, John, that when we um, tried to take someone up on the offer? Of, yes. uh, <laughs> so we got, uh, um, so me and John, for the benefit of the tape, uh, still sometimes, edit a, a blog about the city of Birmingham and that we got, we got an offer and we was, uh, we could write you any tailored content you want for your audience. And we, uh, it was something about, did we um, ask uh, for holiday experiences that people had had in the seventies? Yes. Um, of this um, content person. They were, they were going, Oh no, we're going, I can write you something about, um, uh, the best flights to get. Now we're, we're really interested in coach holidays uh, taken from uh, North Birmingham in the 1970s. And that would be great for our audience. It was, we specifically asked about um, holidays with a particular family as well, didn't we? <laughs> or a particular coach firm. I can't remember. We, we said we wanted something that we said we wanted something that Midge would really connect with. <laughs> and, um, and could they, could they tailor it around his experiences as um I think we said as as a tiny a tiny brummy who went to Wales in the seventies, <laughs> as so many of us did. Uh, if you want to know more about that, you will find it linked in the show notes at paradisecircus.com. And if you want to know who Midge is, then you will also find a link to the book peer review, which John Bounds and Danny Smith wrote, in which which legally Midge isn't in, is he? Oh yeah, oh, um, yeah. Uh, uh, Mm. Oh, well, we, mm. we, we'll never say Midge's real name. Uh, so <laughs> there the, you go. Uh, That's the, easy. So the DSS don't uh, catch up. <clears throat> yes. Uh, good. Right. Um, <sighs> should we? Should we? Um, should we try casting the guide? So we, we've already come up with. You know. Uh, well, we know who uh, canon wise because obviously there's been a couple of other uh, versions, but um, we know who uh, who we like uh, from people who've originally portrayed the guide but uh for our hypothetical netflix series yes we are still doing that uh who do we get nowadays as the guide i suspect that the guide would have the ability 
to, uh, particularly if you designed it now, um, or if you wrote about it now, you would you would have a guide where people were able to customize the voice a bit like people did with their sat navs. So you could get a comedy Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonator to read out the guide to you, or you could get um, Ozzy Osbourne to read out the guide to you. Um, so for that reason, well, we'd have to decide whose version of the guide was going to be the the kind of primary guide in the show in our show and then choose a voice that would match them but we could then have other guide voices as well which would be quite a lot of fun um so who would ford prefect have as his guide that he would give to arthur interestingly though of course the voice of the guide is not the voice of the guide is it the voice the guide itself is a object you read or at least is in all the other incarnations Oh, that's the true. voice, but no, I'm I'm interested, and that and that is probably you would not have a modern day guide in a modern day Netflix series where the guide didn't talk. No, uh, and and that's how the 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 film addressed it that it was a it was a tablet um, because uh, as we've said before, this was pre iPad only by a couple, well, actually by five years, um, but it was it was the same kind of idea, and it was it was uh, digital animations with a voice, and that actually did have. A voice, um, and and you know that that voice was Stephen Fry, but like so you know, the voice you are- was diegetic in the scene rather than being um, for us. Yes, I definitely know what that word means. You did media studies, you know what that means. No, the di- the diegesis is the reality of the story for the people in the story. Yes, of course it is. So diegetic sound is a sound that a character can hear, and non diegetic sound is a sound that the audience can hear, but the characters can't. Perfect. Uh, well, so yes, Dyer, di- 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 uh, Stephen Fry was, um, yes, was, he, he was heard in the universe. He he was the actual voice of the guide, whereas you're absolutely right, Mr. B, that uh, in previous incarnations, yes, there was no audible, except they made allusions to that when they rebooted the series, when they took the remaining three books, because when they, uh, they, they actually did make a mention of the voice because they did a nice little thing at the beginning where they they started off with uh, Peter Jones and then it's sort of the the guide sort of malfunctions and you have you have some noises and then William Franklin turns up and uh, they sort of say that it's been fitted with all sorts of things and a jog proof dial and and as jog proof is being said then there's a there's a, a joke around that uh, and so in later books and then and then Rula Lenska comes in because she's the voice of the bird uh, and so you know they they make allusions to that later but you're absolutely right that in the original incarnation I think yeah we would assume that the the book does not actually make noise so back to who we, who we think I'm if I if I were making a, a series what I'd be looking to do is actually take someone very famous but get them to go away and do all the little phonetic things. That's exactly what you do. Yeah, and then re- obviously, yeah, that's the only a, way you can computer. do it because you're you're always going to have new entries, and you're and you're often going to have things in tongues that the speaker does not speak natively, uh, and there are going to be so many entries that you're you're going to need to. No, no, no. I think what John's saying is is that we're going to for the purpose of the TV show, not for the purpose of the invention. We're going to take the actor and we're going to make a synthesizer out of their voice. So that it sounds a little bit robotic, is that right, John? That's exactly. I'd love. That's what I'd do if I were. That would be a thing for my. If I was getting the budget to do this, I would spunk a lot of budget on doing that. Um, yeah, I think that would sound incredible. That would be great, wouldn't it? Purely to do, it. and then of course you've got other uh, things where you could release it in an app form or whatever and make a bit of money back. Maybe that's why Peter Jones couldn't say executive. Maybe that was just the synthesizer. <laughs> 
So there's, um, I've often thought that um, one could automate uh, Radio 2's Steve Wright in the afternoon show. Yes, the big show. Um, the big show. I love it, actually, but it's so formulaic um, that you could totally, if you'd recorded Steve Wright's voice, you completely automate it. The the factoids uh, are always things you could take out of a QI annual. The, um, the news things, he always reads off Yahoo News for one, one reason or another because I think... Um, they write in a very condensed style that fits his uh, his his voice. You, you so know. there's probably an API we can hook up. Then it'll just automate that. We don't even have to like put the words into the program. We can just get that. There is a, a tool that exists at the moment, and I'm going to try and find it again. I did this, and I legitimately frightened myself. Um, I got goose pimples, and it was horrible. There is a service where. Um, you can read a bunch of sentences. I think the default, I think the the, the um, minimum number is seven, sorry, 70. And they're, they're sort of these odd sentences that you have to read and they have different inflections and things. And you read them into a microphone. And then once the system builds up a voice profile of you, you can then type any words and your synthesized voice will read those words. Now you can go up to three hundred sentences, but I did the uh, I did the initial seventy. When I did it, I forgot that the microphone I use uh, is not the default input for the Mac. So when I listened to some of the samples back, most of what I was hearing was fan noise and my voice sort of in the background. And because the system interpreted that as speech, what came out of it was my voice, but horrifying. Um, I have this this uh, like th- this issue with with like uncanny valley stuff. There's a certain level which re- and it's the same with lots of people. But it really really creeps me out. So the test sentence I always use is no one would have believed in the last years of the 19th century that human affairs were being watched from the timeless worlds of space. And so I typed that into the thing, and for the first five seconds, it just went no and then started saying some words and I I kind of leapt out of my chair and turned the machine off I was I was actually frightened I wasn't just creeped out I was it terrified me but that sounds amazing to put to put non-orthodox sources through that and to, and to generate something out the back yeah. of it is a fantastic uh audio art project yes. for someone to get involved in get my cat involved absolutely um I am yeah. now sitting in a meow room now put it through um put it through a speech synthesizer anyway and get the speech synthesizer to talk to the computer and then do a kind of a, a second generation of the speech synthesizer. That would be amazing. So you could... A lot of fun with that. Shall we pop um, Shall we pop Stephen Hawking in as a cast uh, choice? I mean, he wouldn't even actually have to go to the studio. <laughs> there is that There is that. Uh, that, that benefit, yeah. That's interesting. Um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to stick with the, the pick of Ozzy Osbourne as well as uh, a... Uh, badly thought out comedic voice file that Ford has put on his guide. Um, and Peter Serafinovich as a, an orthodox pick. That's a lovely choice. That's a great choice. I think um, I think you want someone that is soothing. I think you want someone that is sounds intelligent, but not too condescending. Um, and essentially I'm... Okay, um, I'll do it. <laughs> I was I was trying to um, feel towards um, I would I'd quite like to see Jermaine Greer do it maybe I think the accent would get on my nerves after a while 
I'd go Lumley. That accent would annoy me after a while. Yeah, it's very, very plummy. I'm try- yeah, I, 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 don't, I, I don't know. You want a very experienced um, voice, don't you? Um, I, what about a nice, um, what about a nice John Humphreys? Or what about the guy with a really deep voice off uh, Radio 4 Continuity Announcements? We've talked about him before. I can't take it. It's too deep. If we're definitely going to go down the route of digitizing the voice, as we absolutely should, then then we should pick someone who's got a you know a, a, that 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 very sort of pleasing, inoffensive voice. Because if you know if you are using the guide, or if you're if you're going to be watching the TV show, you you want it to be something that's not too distracting. Um, so I, I feel like there's there's still more options there we can we can explore, and we should we should te- uh, we should canvas the the listening audience so, for so some as well. So yeah, and I would like I'd like to say if the the idea is, I guess, that this is an ideal piece of sort of stunt casting. Um, so they don't have to appear on screen. Um, they would probably record all their stuff in isolation in one go. So it could be someone very expensive. Um, but you could just, you know, get in for a day. Um, could you afford a day's worth of uh, Dame Maggie Smith or uh, Jane Fonda or, uh, I don't know, um. Uh. Yeah. I'll, I'm. I'm struggling. But someone very, very big and famous. Go on. Play. Go for it, listeners. Yeah. Let's. Let us know. BTLpodcast.com. Uh. To. To have a look at some of our picks. Uh. And also. Uh. Tweet us at BTLpodcast and let us know who should play the guide and whether it should be quote unquote live or whether we digitize their voice via a service like Liarbird. Uh, and and as I'm going to assign myself a bit of homework and I'm going to attempt to uh, digitize my own voice and uh, I will I will audition for the role of the guide in digitized voice form and I will have something for you next week. Cool. And now a little music. Gunk is a genre of music. Can either of you share some of your favourite gunk lyrics from those early days before it all got vertled? I think my favourite one was, uh, please don't burn our shit out. The the very um, limited amount of gunk that we're exposed to within the books, um, I don't know, if does it exist in audio in the the radio show? Um, I think there is, I think... I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember, but I think there is an allusion to it. I think there might be some sort of clashy, slightly discordant, punk-esque type noise that does emanate from somewhere in Handold City. That would be my, yeah, my, my recollection. So um, I've, I, I haven't, haven't heard that, but w- from knowing that it can be used as a bed in the news, it actually needs to be something fairly middle of the road and less uh, edgy. Um, mm. uh, so the name suggests something quite edgy, quite punky. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it's basically kind of verging towards uh, kind of AOR type stuff. Like a, like a stereophonics. It's sort of, yeah. it's, it's got a dad edge to it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's it's one of those CDs that you get that's called uh, Songs for Your Dad to Drive To that you can buy from the garden centre for his Father's Day present. Yeah. So I've taken this in a different way to you two. I hadn't taken Gunk to be a play on punk, which it probably was uh, originally. I'd taken it as a play on Crunk. Oh, wow. Sort of, uh, sort of um, slightly crunchier sort of dance hall type mm-hmm. stuff. Right. Um, and I was going to say that Crunk, uh, the Gunk music, um, doesn't have any lyrics. So this is a little bit of a dad question. Um, mm. It's like a pair of high court judges going, who is Gaza? 
Uh, <laughs> you are uh, you're making a fundamental category error that this is a this is a purely instrumental art form. Which is why it can be used for a musical bed, then. That's good. Absolutely. I would imagine, though, it probably does have some noises, some vocalizations, as you might find in Scar. So you might find a little ranking. You might find a little... Or you probably end up with um, just those sort of weird sort of... Those kind of noises that you just get, you know, or or maybe the odd little snatch of a word like, one time, you know, that kind of stuff. Just like, kick it! Those kind of little expletives. That yeah, they use. yeah, absolutely. Just, just that weird, those weird sort of explosive little noises that, brap, that you know, that the rap people like to make, uh, or you know, or or the the old sort of dance hall like a skeng it. Uh, you know, th- those, yeah, that that kind of noise. Uh, I could imagine j- just being uh, put through with with lots of reverb, lo- lots of delay, lots of echo, just in the background. That you know, every, every now and again, when someone's reading a news article, you just hear Bruh! Uh Just yeah, just in, in the background. That that's that's now what I'm thinking. Gunk sounds like. So I I, I think I'm I'm edging towards Bounder on this one. Yeah, John's John's head cannon is accepted. Oh, yeah, mm. shit out. <laughs> <laughs> Don't burn my shit house down. You're essentially uh, making a play for, uh, let's get a vocalist with Tourette's in. Yes. Um, (laughs) Yeah, there is a lot of that. Who is Gaza? (laughs) Um, And finally, uh, at the risk of being eaten by a small dog, let's pay homage to a very small army. The Gagugvents are mortal enemies of the Vlahergs who joined forces and went teeming across wormholes in space at the sound of Arthur Dent complaining about his lifestyle. We've talked a lot about this little skit, so instead, let's tackle the point that, uh, really, given the apostrophe, Gagugvents should have been first on the G-list if we were playing by Yellow Pages rules. Definitely, Mark. Yeah, this is. I think this is. Um, this is how uh, automated databases order things versus how humans order things, and uh, it's it's common with databases. And yes, there is an actual database that, like, uh, not just a spreadsheet, an actual working database with bits of code in it that stores all the topics. Um, and uh, the way that works, it puts apostrophes and other punctuation at the end. So I didn't know this about the Yellow Pages until um, John mentioned it. And that's I fascinates me. So um, you know about the whole thing where people uh, change their name to sort of like A1 Plumbing yes. or Aardvark Plumbing to try and get to the top of the Yellow Pages. Listing. Yes, but dot, 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 dot Aardvark Plumbing would be Aardvark Plumbing without any periods in front of it. Yeah, so would you get a sort of... A, sort of you know how uh, people whose surname is uh, Death... Uh, would get, change it and put an apostrophe in there for no reasons of death. Uh, so it's, I wonder if there's an aardvark plumbing uh, somewhere. <laughs> it's actually pronounced aardvark. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 the Alan Bastard syndrome. Yes. Uh, we'll 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 probably come back to the uh, we'll we'll be able to talk about the whole um, scale joke again uh, in in like nine months time when everyone's forgotten and we get to the V's and we can talk about Vlahergs. So uh, we'll we'll park that for now. Um, but we we are fans of the whole being eaten by a small dog joke, and you can 
probably just search btlpodcast.com for the phrase small dog and you'll find it. But while we um while we I don't, while we uh we're talking about it now, a little bit of mm. extra thing, I've remembered that in the text adventure version of Hitchhikers, mm-hmm. um it was a very clever thing that when you typed in something that the parser simply couldn't understand, <laughs> it would go, uh you might say it, it it's strange how different things different work and then just the whole routine of not uh I'm in trouble problem with my lifestyle, but this thing that you typed in that the parser didn't understand becomes the worst insults in the oh, language through the, and they do the whole routine and it goes through to the dog eating it um yeah multiple times as anybody who's <laughs> uh, played the text adventure and just essentially got stuck and never gets out of the bedroom uh, <laughs> would find out yes at some point we're going to figure out a way that we can uh do some sort of whether it's a live twitch stream for anyone who knows oh. what one of those is uh, or something We're, we are going to find manufacture some way that we can play the live text adventure twitch would be amazing so uh, stay stay tuned yes uh, it's exactly what uh, what um very high powered live streaming was for is for playing text adventure games I'm now thinking that should be a real Twitch channel that just exists to play text adventure games from the the Commodore era and and beyond. Don't think I'm not just setting this up onto the table right now. We are very much going south, boys. So uh, that just about wraps it up for the Leopard. Thank you very much for listening. You can find John Bounds over there on Twitter at Bounder. You can find John Hickman at John Hickman. And you can find me at I am Stedman. Uh, Mr. Hickman and I are uh, setting each other homework to write some stuff about the Hitchhiker's Guide uh, for a magazine. So you'll hear more about that soon and maybe even find all of our words in actual print form. Uh, so we'll find out whether that happens and, and bring you more news of that in the weeks to come uh, and if you want to hear us talk about that and, and try and understand what it is that we've got to do and actually hear the results of that then you can go to thread.fm and hear John and I be confused uh, next week we kick off the H's with Hacktar so until then share and enjoy Welcome to Beware of the Leopard, your A to Z of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm Mark Stedman, and... Oh, what? Oh, shit, I've fucked up. Right. I'm Mark Stedman, and I have... I have... I built up... Right. I'm Mark Stedman, and have I built up any coherent picture of things yet? No. (laughs) Should we start again? I spoke over you thinking that you were finished. Yeah, let's just completely do it again. (sighs) Yeah, no, I, I fucked up. Right. It's good. It's good. It's good. Good start.